Thank you, Ann. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate that introduction with Mark. As he shared, we've known each other for quite a while. Actually, we were introduced through Laurie's brother. My wife is here. She didn't want to sit up front with me. She snuck out somewhere in the middle of this section over here. But but anyway, uh, Carter introduced us even back in our Baylor days and then, of course, seminary and then being in this area of ministry now for almost 19 years. Uh, we've gotten to reacquaint and got to know each other quite well and just appreciate him, his life, his ministry, his work, and, and his family. Um, actually, Mark and I also, back not too, well, it's been a few years now, uh, played highly competitive church league softball against each other. Uh, and I just want to go on record. I'm a year older, but I still have both my knees. Just, <laughs> j- just saying. So, uh, but, uh, but appreciate him. And I, I, I do... I have to say I was a little concerned about this whole introduction thing because Randy Owens was the guy who asked me to come and to share. Randy's one of your elders here. Of course, you know him and Sharon. And, and of course, they've been very active in the children's home ministry for many, many years. But uh, Randy asked me to... I was afraid he was the guy who was going to actually do the introduction because Randy and I were in second grade together. And so so he has a whole lot more material to work with there. And so I'm kind of glad Mark stepped in to do that. Uh, but we do appreciate, of course, both of those families and their ministry, Children at Heart, and many of you. Uh, the, there were many in the early service as well, and quite a few that are in this service that are directly a part of that ministry and that they live and work there and minister there. And, and so it's, it's great to see everybody. And I don't take these opportunities for granted. It's a special privilege and an honor for me to be able to share God's Word with you today. But for those of us who have known Christ for a while, We've had that personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ for a period of time. More than likely, we've come through a period of time to where it seemed that God was silent. That God just, where are you, God? God, We're not hearing from Him like we thought we would or should or maybe have even in the past. Can you identify with that? Where you've had periods of time where, okay, God just seems like He's silent. Well... What do we do during those times? Do we get impatient? Do we go back and claim the promises of God and His Word and and hang on to those and then try to work them out on our own? What do we do? Well, such was the case with an older couple we find in the Old Testament. A couple we're probably familiar with. As a matter of fact, the husband's name is a name that is almost synonymous with the word faith. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 1. God's Word says, When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. Now, every time we look at a passage of Scripture, and especially when we're just looking at a a couple of verses at a time, it's very important to understand the context of that passage, to know what came before and after. Now, if you open the Bible in your own copy there in chapter 17, it's very easy to see in the next verses, immediately where I stopped reading, God changes their names from Abraham, from Abram to Abraham, the father of many nations, and from Sarai to Sarah, the mother of many nations and kings of people. And so what we tend to do is we start out at verse 1 and we just begin reading and we jump onto that and latch on to the name change because that's so significant that we miss out on something I think very significant in these first couple of verses that we're going to look at today. And another question, of course, we need to ask is what came just before this? Now, if we just turn to chapter 16 in Genesis, we would say, oh, well, it was the birth of Ishmael. Technically, that would be incorrect. Because chapter 16 ends by saying that Abram was 86 years old. 
Chapter 17 began saying that Abram was 99. So for 13 years, there was silence. For 13 years, God did not speak. For 13 years, they hung on to the promises of God, but they got a little bit impatient. Again, what about you and me? When we go through those times of silence, do we tend to get impatient? I mean, we live in a world that's bought into the lie, and maybe you've bought into it some. I know I have. That anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. I mean, don't, don't we kind of live in that culture? I mean, I was in a major bookstore in the area just a couple of weeks ago. As I was even thinking about and praying about this message, and I thought, okay, here's a good illustration. I mean, I was at the bookstore buying one book. I got in line. There were like seven people in line in front of me. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? There's one person checking out. It's a huge bookstore, you know, five times the size of this room, and they only have one person that can check people out when there's a line like this. Can't they call somebody else up? I mean, yeah, it is noon, but retail people, you know, they can eat lunch at a different time. You know, I was frustrated. And I thought, man, it's going to take me half an hour to buy this book, and I really wanted that book. And so I waited, and right as I was getting up close to the front end of the line, a second person came to check people out. I bought the book, and I'm walking out the door, and I look at my watch. Seven minutes. It took me seven minutes. I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. I was frustrated because it was going to take me seven minutes. I had in my mind built it up. It was going to take a lot longer than that. But we've turned instant gratification into the gold standard of value. The question we tend to ask first is not how long will it last, but how soon can I get it? Ask Amazon how that works as a business model. And I'm afraid, though, we've done the same thing with God. We who are believers in Christ, who through Him have that personal relationship with God, are impatient people when it comes to spiritual depth and spiritual growth. We want it now. That depth of spiritual maturity, though, does not come quickly. It happens over time, and it must be built over time. If greed is the demon of money and pride is the demon of power, then speed is the demon of depth. One Christian writer writes, Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. When it comes to spiritual growth, it takes time, it takes patience, and it takes a willingness to accept those silent periods of God. In fact, it is often during those silent periods where real spiritual depth is developed. I know I've experienced that in my own life personally, and we certainly see that today with Abram. But 13 years earlier, Abram and Sarah got impatient and took things into their own hands. I mean, they claimed the promise of God. God's promise could not have been any more clear about a son in chapter 15. It was very clear. But during six or seven years of silence, they began to think, okay, we're old. God really can't do this. Let's help God out. And so they had a son through Hagar, the maidservant, which sounds really weird to us. But in that period of time, that was something that was done and accepted as the idea of continuing the bloodline, even though technically it really wasn't. But Ishmael was then born. 13 years, and then God revisits them. But as Abram and Sarah began to take things into their own hands, things did not work out well, to say the least. I mean, we could talk a, a long time about the significance of the birth of Ishmael and how it impacts world history even today. But nowhere in Scripture does God give a promise and then tell the recipient of that promise, okay, go figure it out. Here's my promise now. Good luck. May I be with you. Go in my speed. Earlier service didn't catch that quite as well. Uh, Y'all are more awake or something. I don't know. But, But God does not need our help to figure things out. If he gives us his promise, 
He's got it figured out. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He has those circumstances in hand. After 13 years of silence, God speaks to Abram again. And 13 years before, after they had strayed away, he find, I find it very interesting what God says first. He says, I am God Almighty. Now, if you're Abram and Sarai, and it's gone for 13 years, it's not hearing from God after you had been in pretty direct communication with him for a while. What name would you want God to use? I'm kind of thinking if I'm them, I'd like to hear, I'm still the God of the covenant. I'm still the God of promise. I'm still the God who loves you. I'm still the God who can bring forgiveness and restoration. I'd like to hear those names, but God doesn't do any of that, although he is all of those and more. He says, I am God Almighty. He actually uses the name El Shaddai. We're probably familiar with that name. Perhaps you're familiar with it from past studies, but... If you're around back in 1982, Amy Grant came out with a song by that name. I see a few heads nodding. You can't forget the name of that song because she says the name like 20 times. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. It's not like 20 times. It is 20 times. I counted. Uh, but it actually means, as the text says, God Almighty. The two words, El and Shaddai, are put together. They're only seven times in Scripture. El is short for Elohim, who is the, the name for the Creator God. And Shaddai is a name that means all-sufficient. And so you put those two names together and you have the all-powerful, all-sufficient God. And in a sense, no name of God is really above this name, the name El Shaddai. And it's the first time that this phrase or this name is used in Scripture. God says, I am God Almighty. Charles Swindoll writes about this. He says, this divine name carries the concept of God overpowering, ever-present, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, faithful, good, and sovereign. The straightforward message God communicated through this name after a long period of silence is this. And this was the key statement, I think, that Swindoll makes. He says, while I am sometimes silent, I remain in control of your circumstances. That's a hard truth to learn, isn't it? And it's been a tough one for me, and sometimes still is, that even though when he is silent, God is still in control. After 13 years, after this godly couple, instead of walking before God, they got impatient and sinned and got ahead of God. God comes to them and he doesn't say, I'm the patient God, I'm the forgiving God, I'm the God of reconciliation, or all those other things that he could have said and we would have thought, well, that was really appropriate. Instead, he comes and says, I am God Almighty. You thought it was hard for me to cause Sarah to become pregnant 13 years ago. What do you think about right now, 13 years later? Do you think that's even any, any harder for me? God is in control. He's got it figured out. He knows, he sees, he is aware. And nothing about your situation or circumstance today comes as a surprise to God. And there is nothing that comes your way that he hasn't already figured out. God tells Abram that if he wants the promise of the covenant to come true, that your numbers will increase, then Abram, there is something you must do. Notice what he says. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. It's not a bullet point list. It's not as five steps. You do these five things, Abram, all these things. It's just simply, Abram, you need to walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Pretty straightforward, simple statement. But let's break it down just a little bit. First, understand this is not a suggestion. It's not a New Year's resolution as we start out 2018. I'm going to try to do better and walk more with God and be more in tune with Him. It is a command. God is telling Abram, it is a command. It's an imperative. Walk before me faithfully, Abram. 
and be blameless. The word walk, we all understand. We know what that is. It's putting one foot in front of the other over and over and over again. But it has a special significance in Scripture. Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, it said of him that he was a man who walked with God, and he was not, and God took him. Walk translates a Hebrew verb there that conveys a sense of ongoing intimacy with God. A few verses later in Genesis chapter 6, we read about Noah, that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Righteousness in that passage translates a Hebrew word which means to be just, to have a just cause. And the idea of blameless, which <coughs> excuse me, is the same in, in chapter 17, translates a Hebrew word meaning to be complete, intact, or whole. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But taken together and looking at the life of Noah, it was, he was a man who had a just cause, who constantly pursued it under God, and that his, he was single-focused in heart and mind. And he did that day in and day out. It's a word about lifestyle and consistency. Enoch and Noah were told to walk with God, and now God is telling Abram to do the same thing. It's a word that, again, is about consistency. He doesn't tell him to jog, run, or make a bad dash for he simply says, walk. God is not one who's unclear. He's very clear when it comes to his promises. It's simply to follow him. I also believe it's a word about patience. It's that steady consistency about it. Rather than a sprint, again, it's a walk. God says, though, to walk before me. Now, the Hebrew phrase that's used there is a little bit unusual. It literally means the face. The term used is the same term that's used in the first commandment in Exodus 20, verse 3, where it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the idea here is in Genesis 1, you could translate that to say, Walk looking at my face. The first commandment could be said, Don't let any other god get between your face and my face. And the implication is obvious. It points to the focus of our walk. I, I pick a word each year to use to kind of think about how can I apply that to the different priorities in my life. And I've chose this year, or felt led to choose the word walk. Now, my wife and I teach a young couples class at our church, Austin Baptist, obviously in Austin. And we taught a series of lessons called Abraham and Sarah, Marriage and a Journey of Faith, about a little over a year ago. And it was just kind of going through the Scripture. It wasn't using a curriculum or anything. It was just going through what life application can we make in their life to our marriage, to our family, and to our homes. And when we came to this passage, it just took hold of me uh, a little over a year ago. And it's like I couldn't let it go. And over a period of time, from time to time, I would meditate on this passage. And so back in December, when I was praying about, okay, what word can I use to really emphasize in the different priority areas of my life, what word would it be? And, and I just felt like God was saying, it's the word walk. And in this case, it's the idea of repeatedly over and over and over again doing the right thing before him. And here's the hard part for me. One of the hard parts, but one of the really hard parts for me is in that is allowing God to call the cadence. It's allowing God to say where, not only where do I go, but how fast do I get there and trusting him for the details. And another point is as, as you're looking at the face of God, as you walk through life, you also know if, if that's your focus, if your focus is really to, to look at God and look at his face, you know when you've gotten off course. You know, you recognize perhaps a little more quickly and more readily that you've turned away from the face of God. But not only that, something that we also know intellectually, but you think we know a little more experientially, if we're following the face of God and we get off track, we also know that He sees exactly what we've done. 
He knows that we've gotten off track. He knows that we've strayed away because he is always looking at us. God sees it, and you know he sees it as well. It reminds me of the words of the hymn written in 1918. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Or us sin no more at dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I also love the picture that God paints here for Abram. Think about it when you're teaching an infant to become a toddler. When they're trying to take those first steps, what do we do? My wife and I are blessed with three grandkids, Cade, Hannah, and Lane. Cade is now six, Hannah is almost three, and Lane is two and a half. They're great. They're the best ever. Don't know why we didn't have them sooner. But, but uh, when they're learning to walk, when they're learning to take those first steps, what do we do? Did Laurie just sit on the couch and holding Cade's hands and I'm sitting over in the recliner and say, okay, Cade, get going. Good luck. Come on, get walking. No, what do you do? You get down on their level. You look at them and it's almost instinctive that that infant trying to become a toddler knows that they don't need to look at the ground. They don't need to look around. They just need to look at your face. And they look at your face and we're down there saying, come on, take a step. We're encouraging them. We've got our hands out to them. And they take those first steps, and then they take some more and some more, and they learn to walk by looking at your face. But what happens after they really learn to walk? They start going all kinds of different directions, don't they? I mean, the Hannah, the one that's now three, it didn't take her long before she coined the phrase, no, Hannah can do it. I mean, yeah, you're going up this ladder. I'm sure Hannah can do this just really well. Uh, Lane, on the other hand, she's, she's hilarious. I love her. I love them all. She's really funny. Her, her parents don't always think this is funny, but I do. Uh, but, you know, you'll say, Lane, come here. And she just looks at you and she just kind of, you know, gives that mischievous little grin and just takes off and she goes a whole other direction, knowing full well exactly what she's doing. Don't we do the same thing with God? We will look at his face. We know that and we do that for a while. And then once we kind of get our feet under us spiritually, we start going off in our own direction. I thought that's a great picture of what happens to us. It's exactly what Abram and Sarai did in trying to figure things out for God. They claimed his promises, but then they began to walk their own direction. But God says to walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That word blameless, as I've said, means complete, whole, having integrity. It's the idea of uh, there's no fragments. Integrity is the word that comes from integer, a whole number. It's the idea there that your values and the way you live your life, there's a consistency about them no matter where you are. That your values and the way you live, the way you conduct yourself, your walk, so to speak, is the very same when it comes to how you act here at church, how you act at home, in work, in the community, in your neighborhoods, and at sporting events. Did I go a little too far on that one? Yeah, it's, sorry. Uh, won't back off of that though, but I need to hear that more than the rest of us maybe. But that little conjunction and 
implies that one is the result of other of the other. You are blameless. You're complete. You're whole. You have integrity. As, there's no gaps in essence because you walk day after day after day looking at the face of God. One goes with the other. But notice Abram's response this time. When God comes to Abram this time, he doesn't say, whoa, God, where have you been? We've missed you. Look what we've done. We got a boy. No, he doesn't say that. He falls face down in worship before God. During those 13 years of silence, his faith had grown to trust God and to trust him wholly and completely. But now let's talk a little bit about you and me. We're so often no different than Abram and Sarah. We trust God, sort of. We believe in his promises to a certain degree. But when things don't happen on our timetable, in our way, the way we think they should, so often we try to take things into our own hands and we want God's blessings. And things just simply don't work out well when we do that. Or maybe we just want God to come to us on our own terms, the way we perceive that we need to hear Him come. We want Him to come. Yeah, we know He's God Almighty, but we'd much rather hear that I'm the God of all comfort. I'm the God of joy. I'm the God of peace. I'm the God of love. I'm the God of forgiveness. I'm the God that is your refuge and strength. I'm your ever-present help in times of trouble. I'm the God who forgives. We want to hear those, and they're all certainly true. But I believe God wants us to know and understand today more than anything else that He is God Almighty. And we just need to walk faithfully before Him, looking at His face, and be blameless. Perhaps you're here this morning and you think, well, God can't really use me to impact the world. I mean, those are for other people. It sounds good, but you don't know me. I mean, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I have issues. I have problems. I have circumstances. I have situations. I have baggage. I have a family history. I have too great a sin. On and on the list could go, kind of what I would call our whatever reason or excuse as to why God can't use us. Yet He is God Almighty. And nothing is too difficult for him. He knows your issues. He knows your circumstances. And nothing of that situation comes as a surprise to him. But just think about all the people that God used in Scripture. It ought to give us some hope. Think that God can actually use us. Just think through the people that God used throughout the Bible. Noah was a drunk. Abraham lied more than once and got ahead of God. Jacob and Rebekah were deceivers. And that ran through several generations of that family. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and had a prison record. Moses was a murdering stutterer. Aaron succumbed to peer pressure. Rahab was a prostitute. Caleb was 85 years old. Ruth was a young widow. Samson had a problem with lust. Gideon tested God twice. Eli had rebellious sons. King David, he had too many issues even to start mentioning. Solomon had an issue with being enticed by foreign women. Elijah had a serious problem with depression. Jeremiah's life work was burned up by fire, and evidently he cried easily. Ezekiel preached his best sermon to a bunch of dry bones. Daniel and his friends endured the total destruction of their country in an 800-mile forced march into Babylon. Hosea had a wife who repeatedly left him to be a prostitute. Amos was just a farmer of figs and sycamore trees. Jonah ran from God. Joseph and Mary were just trying to plan a wedding. John the Baptist, he was just weird. Peter was impulsive. Matthew worked for the Roman government. James and John had an interfering and overbearing mother. Bartholomew, he must have been an introvert because we don't know anything about what he said. Paul persecuted the church and Timothy was young and timid. 
I say all of that to say this. Put your name on the list. Write it down. Put in your whatever, whether it's small or big or one or ten. It doesn't matter. God is God Almighty. He can take all of that and use it for His glory in your life and the lives of others to impact people with the gospel. He's done it throughout history. He's the same God today as He was yesterday. What makes you think that He can't do it today? He's the same God. He is the same God. And He specializes in using people just like you and just like me with our whatevers to change the world. And God does this Not because He's a loving God, although He certainly has loved us with an everlasting love. God does this not because He's our ever-present help in times of trouble, although He certainly is. God wants to use people like you and me, not just because He's the God of grace, although we can all be certainly thankful He's the God of grace. He does this and He can do this because He is God Almighty. Walk before Him faithfully in 2018. And be blameless. And let God do the rest. Because He is God Almighty. Let's pray.